Welcome to the Recovery Playbook, brought to you by the Menninger Clinic, a national leader in mental health and addictions treatment. We're your hosts, Dr. Daryl Shorter. And I'm Ryan Leaf. Our goal is to elevate conversation about substance use and addictions for anyone who may be impacted, including family members. Our episodes will share real issues and the latest treatments and matters of interest to the recovery community. What's today's playbook topic, Ryan? All right, today's playbook topic is language and addiction. It's a really uh, important one. This is a big one because you and I have talked about this a little bit in terms of how people identify yeah, or yeah. how people are shamed. That's right. So stigmatizing language has been a major focus in the addictions field over the last decade or, or so uh, because we recognize that sometimes the language that we use can perpetuate a lot of the stigma uh, that people who use drugs and people with substance use disorders can experience. So one term that we don't typically use clinically anymore is the term alcoholic. We also don't really use the term addict anymore, but we recognize that people in the recovery community oftentimes will use that language when talking about themselves. And I do, you know, I, uh, how I got sober and, and my sponsor and kind of my mentors, there was a lot of accountability mm. and so I would love to learn more around that because if it is harming the way I think of things maybe without knowing it, mm -hmm. because it's still used by people who want to harm me with those words by calling me an addict or a felon right. or a junkie, all of which I use and I've almost owned because it if there's another way for me to do that, because I don't know if it's impacting me in a negative way. Well, so it's interesting. They have, they've done a number of studies on this, and it turns out that for people who are in recovery, a self-identity as an alcoholic, addict, junkie, take your pick on, that, on those words, can actually help to reinforce that identification and help people to feel like they're part of the group in many ways, like we are a group right. doing this together. Uh, it also can be a way of challenging stigma. Uh, for you to go out and say, I'm an addict, actually challenges this idea of what, of what an addict looks like. Um, so that's, that's ultimately good stuff that happens. I feel like it removes a lot of power. Uh-huh, exactly. But, but if I use the term addict, right. I think it looks and feels a little differently to people. So we've, and we've gotten away from using that kind of language, not just in the field of addictions, but throughout medicine. I mean, we really don't refer to people as being like as a diabetic, you're a person with diabetes. We don't call people schizophrenic anymore. We say that that's a person with schizophrenia. We center the person. And that's the same thing that happens with persons who use drugs or people with substance use disorders on the medical side of it. But I think after hearing you say it, if I would have been, let's say, you know, shown that diagnosis or that you are you are a person dealing with a substance use disorder instead of like you're a drug addict maybe you're more receptive to hearing someone out in that in that instant yeah because when people want to attack me now because i live in this public life when they want to attack me now it is based around really four words it's based around bust mm which is uh, a around my uh, 
expectations that I didn't meet as a football player. So how did I remove the power from that? Well, I named it my podcast and made a bunch of money off it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> the other one is felon. The other one is uh, druggie or drug addict or, um, um, or junkie. Th those are really the four words where they, to your point, try to shame me with it where when I own it, mm -hmm. like I feel, I feel empowered because of it. Yeah. Which I think is an important thing for people who are in recovery. If the self-identification as an alcoholic, addict, junkie, felon, whatever, if that is helpful to you as an individual, then by all means, sure. I, if somebody comes in and they say, I'm a grateful recovering alcoholic, I say, awesome. Yeah. I don't try to challenge them and say like, well, you really are a person with alcohol. <laughs> we probably shouldn't call you that. Like, I'm not going to do that. Uh, and I will probably still use the term. You'll, use, you'll do it the right way you want. I'll say like alcohol use disorder. Yeah. If we, if I even call it that, you know, sometimes. Well, what's the point of this podcast, right? Yeah. You know, doctor, patient. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I might, I might sometimes allow people to, uh, or like join in with that terminology, but usually I try to keep it on the medical side of things. There was also this really interesting study where they, this is why it's important, I think, there where they, they were at a conference of mental health providers, mental health professionals, and they gave half of this group a clinical vignette and they used the word addict in it. And then they gave the other half of the group the same clinical vignette, and but they replaced the term addict with person who uses substances or person with substance use disorder. And it won't be surprising to you to hear probably that the people in the addict group, when they got the word addict, they thought that more choice was involved. Uh, they thought that the person needed uh, harsher penalties or, or something punitive rather than treatment. It's because that term can, and this is mental health professionals, right, can evoke such strong uh, emotions around judgment, prejudice, bias, and stigma comes up and is associated with that term. When I read that study, I was like, oh, we, we got to change this. Yeah. We got to change this. And they have also studied that when you look at people who are in recovery, who use those, use those terms for themselves, that they find them to be empowering. It's, it's a mix. It's uh, in contrast. Yeah. From a different perspective. That's right. And, uh, and that's, that's the important piece of the stigma aspect of things is the perspective from individuals who, who, who aren't afflicted yeah. with, with this. If you have your um, news anchor reading the news at night and says that to, to the public uh, around an individual who may have been arrested for uh, uh, some sort of drug crime, if that is used as an uh, identifier, how differently maybe viewed this this person will be and and to be able to back that up you have the data from this from yeah. this study and that's that's a huge part of it again we started with this first episode talking about the science and understanding the science and those who uh, who have data around it and why you can do that and you made the point about choice when you add that to it that allows for that that stereotype of like oh he chose this yeah. he chose to do this so therefore i don't have any empathy or sympathy for him because right. this was a choice. Another uh, bit of stigmatizing language that frequently comes up is around the term relapse. And we've seen recently people moving away from the term relapse and using the term recurrence or recurrence of use. Is that, is that gaining popularity in the recovery community? Um, no. Um, but I'm also, um, 
relapse to me sounds clinical as well. Okay. So I have never had any, uh, you know, any stigmatizing identifiers with that word. Okay. For me, it, it seems clinical. And so therefore, I, I see it as, as someone who had uh, a reoccurrence of a, yeah. a substance use disorder. So that, uh, that hasn't, I haven't seen it from that yeah, point of view that's yet. That's interesting. Because yeah, we are using recurrence, recurrence of use a bit more uh, regularly, certainly within the addiction field and hopefully throughout uh, psychiatry and mental health. Uh, we're, we're switching over to use that language. I have a patient that I'm working with and he was coming back from a quote unquote relapse. And we talked about, well, well, I don't really use that terminology with people anymore. I certainly don't use it with patients anymore. He's like, well, what do you call it? I said, well, we refer to it as a recurrence. And his shoulders went down about two inches. He was like, for some odd reason that made him feel different about, differently about how he had had this time where he resumed substance use and he was coming out of that time and was doing something very different. So there was something I think for him uh, around the shame of it that that I think got a little bit better in that moment. At least that's what he said. Well, you, you see it too. I mean, in body language, um, shame is a huge, huge, huge part of that. Uh, Brene Brown has been a, just so impactful for me in terms of reading, you know, the, you know, the man in the arena, mentality around shame and guilt mm -hmm. and i think for the longest time you just you were told you are this dirty unclean druggy person and so you believe that you are a bad person and you don't fully understand that i may have done a bad thing right. that doesn't make me a bad person right i am still that boy uh, four years old you know that's there's an innocence to it that's taken away from this disease yeah. and so i get that um anything that can be anything that can be done to remove shame and overwhelming powerlessness i think is a huge impact and i don't care if people want to call it woke or whatever they want you know it doesn't matter if we're helping people because of it. That's right. I mean, I think that's ultimately the, the goal of anybody. And it can ultimately improve the quality of care that people receive. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's the point that, that we get from these studies is that people's care actually is impacted by the use of stigmatizing language. You are not treated the same in certain cases, you may not be treated the same if someone is carrying around this belief that you are a dirty yeah. addict. And, I, and it allows the patient and myself in a situation like that to be more trusting of an individual. Absolutely. And one of the biggest things for somebody who's dealing with, with you know, a substance use disorder, I, I need people, I just need somebody to show up, mm. to be consistent um, so that I can build trust. Because trust is one of the hardest things for me to do. I feel like I've been uh, wronged in so many different places along the way. Um, you know, and I don't want to you know, find another reason to be resentful of something that, that, that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. I think with that, thank you for tuning in to the Recovery Playbook. Ryan, as always, it's great talking to you. See you next time. <laughs>